Welcome to the Voices in Recovery podcast, brought to you by Freedom's Path Recovery Society. We are not affiliated with any 12-step fellowship, nor do we wish to propose only one solution to the problem of addiction. We want to welcome as many disciplines at work as there are people trying to get better. We understand how different solutions can greatly increase an individual's chance of survival. Regardless of where you are right now, where you're going, or where you've been, we want to welcome you, one and all. We hope to illuminate the process of recovery by sharing as many human triumph stories as we can. Obviously, within that scope, there are many tragedies. Why, you might ask? So we can show others we can and do build stable lives from a former state of chaos, desperation, and hopelessness. As a part of my life and work, I wander into all kinds of anonymous meeting rooms, facilitate different group workshops, hear amazing stories from badass humans, and every time I am honored to listen. I become ever more grateful hearing how brave and resilient we actually are. I want to shout out a couple of local businesses tonight. And just before we get into that, I'm going to tell you they didn't pay us anything. They're just good people. Um, ba, 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 ba. Besides, yeah, both guys are good dudes and they won't screw you. So uh, the first one is my brother, Nathan Lurie. He runs NJL Body Health Solutions. Obviously, I am biased. I think he's awesome and fantastic and smart, um, but I can't do his work justice. So if you have any questions, check with him. He's pretty smart. He does movement therapy, and I, I can't even remember the names of the therapy he does. Uh, but he's a smart dude. Um, apparently, it runs in the family, obviously. Uh, his phone number is 587-899-1976. Or you can email them at info at njltraining.com. Uh, second gent is Steve, and he owns Imagine Painting. He does large or small painting projects. Uh, so if you tell him you heard about it on Voices in Recovery, you will get 5% off. And you may actually arrange for me to get a kickback. I am always willing to take a kickback. I can't stress that enough. I like money. I'm just kidding. Isn't that funny? Because it's like totally the last thing I think about. Anyway, okay, seriously, check those guys out. They're pretty rad. All right, without further delay, I want to introduce my friend and someone who I have, I can't even stress how much respect I have for you. Uh, her name is Janice. She and her family have been through some of the most difficult shit families can go through, but I'm going to let her tell the story in a minute or two. Hello, Janice. Hello, David. It's nice to have you here. I'm so thrilled to be here. Thank you. You're welcome. I've been gushing all day, right? Because I have like this serious like intellectual crush on you. Like, yeah, because you're so smart. Um, anyway, please remember that any and all opinions shared and heard are those of the individuals and not a reflection of Freedom's Path Recovery Society or any other corporation or entity. These are people's opinions. That is all. Okay, we wish to honor all people wherever they might be along their process. In order to provide our guests and listeners with a sincere and genuine experience, all persons involved in the podcast have a right to their opinions, regardless of how crappy or wonderful those opinions might be. Loosely defining recovery as a process of adjusting to changes in life prior to, during, or after a life event or events, which have caused residual trauma of some kind in the individual or in their life. That's a mouthful. And the truth is, not everybody can agree on what recovery is, so I basically made that up. This can include, but is not exclusive to, alcoholism, chemical dependencies, process addictions, 
which basically are behavioral addictions, mental illness, codependency, medical cha challenges, grief, etc. Chances are good that some or all of the individuals on this program may use strong language. Tonight, probably not as likely, except Janice might. Adult themes and situations, as well as stories of death and dying. It is not suitable for children unless they are accompanied by a parent or guardian or have the explicit permission of those individuals. As an uncle to nieces and nephews, don't let your kids listen to me talk ever. Don't ever do it unless it's like required by law. <laughs> Without further ado, I want to introduce my friend, Janice. Janice, why don't you tell us about yourself? Thank you, David. Um, I was born in Manitoba, but grew up in Calgary. We came here when I was, I think, just a year old. Love Calgary. It's the only place I've ever lived. I have a younger brother and a younger sister. Hmm. Um... I think if you would have told me back then that I would be sitting here talking about recovery, but I said you have been crazy. Yeah. Um, that whole campaign about this is your brain on drugs, the fried egg thing. Oh my God. That stuck with me. Like I still remember that to this day. I've never yeah. tried drugs in my life. Really? Never. See, we were, I was just joking with someone. I said, I wonder if that ever worked. It did. It worked. Absolutely. I was terrified. Whoa. Right Terrified. On. Still to this day, I will never, ever try drugs. So I'm talking about recovery, which is kind of bizarre. Totally bizarre. It's not bizarre, though, at all when you really think about it. No. Not considering where you are and what's happened, right? Exactly. So I guess um start growing up. Mm -hmm. I had a mom and a stepdad, and the house was pretty dysfunctional. Stepdad was a drinker. Mm. Yep, so lots of terrible memories growing up. Um, my younger brother and younger sister, I think they got most of it. Most of? Um, there was there was a lot of, um, well, I call it abuse. Mm -hmm. Physical, mental, we were strapped as kids. Mm -hmm. And my brother took a lot of that. Did he? he? You think did. he took it more because he was the only boy? I think he was the only boy, yep. And yeah. so he got it. It's quite a phenomenon, hey? Like when you yep. think about how, because um, I noticed it in our family too, like when, when you have a girl and then you have all boys, everyone treats the girl like a queen. But the guys, it's like, yeah, whatever, they're breakable. Yep. Yep, that, I, I agree with that. Hmm. Although I did know what that felt like yeah the strap for sure and so just lived in fear yeah growing up fear that you could do well, I remember you know thinking I was doing something really good and it wasn't good mm. so we were punished for that so yeah I, I felt bad for my brother because he did take a lot of it and um one day he was out in the um the garage with my dad and I think he was about 14, 13 years old, something like that. And they were changing a tire and the car slipped and he got his finger stuck in between the jack and the car. So he came running into the house and his finger was completely squished like a pancake. Mm -hmm. It was, it was terrible. So he went to the hospital and, um, 
The call the next day came from the hospital that he had some kind of blood disorder. Hmm. Back in those days, parents didn't talk about what a blood disorder was. Like, I still don't know what it was to this day. But they said, you know, get him back to the hospital ASAP. And then it, um, he had to have a lot of bone marrow transplants. Oh, they were sticking needles in his thigh. And so he started taking a lot of pain medication. Oh, yeah, but I hear that's painful. It's horrible. Bone and he would say, stuff. Jackie, it's a big, long needle that they would stick in his in his thigh and um so that started him on pain meds mm -hmm. and then as he got older um that was in the time when all of the um, walk-in clinics were starting to pop up everywhere oh okay so he quickly learned how to go into any kind of walk-in clinic mm -hmm. with an ache and a pain or a whatever and get pain medication oh man good for him <laughs> good for him Yep, he oh. learned how to do that, and then they caught on to him, and so then he was starting to hurt himself. Oh. He would um, fake, well, he would break his arm or oh. scald himself in a hot Just tub to go to the of, hospital water, and... of water, yeah, to burn himself to get on morphine or whatever oh they would hook goodness. him up to. Yeah. So, and then he started manipulating the family and... And I knew something was wrong. I mean, he was stealing from my parents blind. Mm -hmm. My dad was horrified because it was his only son. And um, I tried to say to my dad, hold him accountable. Mm -hmm. This is not acceptable behavior. And um, because I was the bossy, older, responsible sister, mm -hmm. got right in there. And I'm like, come on, hold him accountable. Yeah. And um, my dad never did. Until uh, he phoned us, he was held up in a hotel and he was suicidal. Mm -hmm. And so my dad said, you know what, we need to. And I was working for police at that time. Yeah. So we called in police and they, they came to the hotel. I met them there and they said, had they not seen his response to me, then it would have just been like a normal call, but they saw how he reacted when he mm -hmm. saw me and they said, you know, he needs to go to some treatment and, Somewhere, and yeah. yeah. So they sent him to Pinoca. They realized that he had some mental health issues mm. and addiction. So he did, uh, he went to Pinoca for a while and they got him on some great medication and he, he changed his life around. It was pretty oh, wow. fantastic. Yep. He was 33 by this time. Um, and six months after he came out of Pinoca, um, he hooked up with a friend and, and then he, I don't know what he took. I don't know what it was. Again, our family doesn't talk about that mm -hmm. stuff, but he did die oh, from geez. some kind of Drug overdose. Mm -hmm. See, I didn't know that your brother passed away. Mm -hmm. We never spoke about that. No, we didn't talk about that, but I thought if we're here, let's yeah. talk about the whole thing. So well, I had you, been... If you're wondering why you're on a recovery-oriented podcast, well, you just describe why you're on it. Yep. <laughs> yep, and I had been estranged from my mom for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And... But, but you know what? I, I, I did get the call from my dad and... And I did help plan the funeral and mm. absolutely, you know, tried to mend some relationships and it didn't last long, but, um, I'm 
really, really glad that, you know, I was part of the funeral and, and, um, trying to reconcile some relationships, but I didn't know how to do that. Mm. So I go back into my default mode, which is walls up with an electric fence Mm. and a cattle prod. Mm -hmm. Yep. Now I know that having some time to look back Mm -hmm. and reflect on that, of course, that makes sense. So, um, my kids were young and I was divorced at that time when my brother passed and I, so I spoke really openly about drugs and, Mm. and alcohol with the boys, all three of them. There was no subject off the table, Mm -hmm. like your uncle passed from this. So please be careful. Mm -hmm. Lots of open conversation. Um, We would watch Intervention together. I remember watching that. They loved it Mm -hmm. because they would say, you know, mom, would you ever do that to us? And I said, oh, absolutely, in a heartbeat, Mm -hmm. not knowing at all that I would have to do something like that. But um, I thought the kids were fine. Mm -hmm. Like they were great in school. They didn't get into any trouble. It was, they were fantastic. And one Mother's Day, um, my middle son, Ryan, he was, he had just turned 14 in January. So um, in May of that year that he turned 14, uh, we were on the comfy couch. We call it the big comfy couch in my Mm -hmm. house. And um, I think we were watching Intervention. And I ran to my car to grab something and I ran into one of the moms in the neighborhood and wished her a happy Mother's Day. And she says, well, it's not such a good day for me because my son's in treatment. I'm like, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. Treatment. So she explained what was going on and she had taken her son, who my kids played with, who knew very well. So I went back into the house and I said, you guys, I just spoke with so-and-so's mom and... I just can't believe what I heard. And so I just want to thank you guys for being such great kids. You're not in trouble in school. What a great Mother's Day present. So Mm. thank you so much. I think two months later, (laughs) it all started. I mean, yeah, Ryan started um, becoming very angry and violent at 14 years old. And I had no idea what had spurred that on. I had been divorced from their dad for three years. We had settled into a home. The kids were playing hockey. They were in school, not causing any grief. I couldn't figure out where this anger came from. Just destructive, violent behavior. And um, he was playing hockey at that time. I think it was in... um, Yeah, it was probably September, October when he started to play hockey and we knew that he had had these outbursts and he was in one of his moods and he said he was going to the hockey game to play hockey and I said, no, you're not. You can't play like this. Like you're just too out of control and he's got his bag and he went to the door and I blocked the door and he put the hockey stick right up in my face and he's like, I am going to play hockey. I need to go kill some kids on the ice tonight. And I'm like, "Mm, oh, even more. Mm -hmm. You are not going to play hockey. So it was a standoff. And his brothers were at the top of the stairs waiting to jump in and intervene if 
he was, because we know how violent he was, and he finally turned around back and went to his room. Mm. So uh, I was devastated that we had to have that confrontation and needed to go for a little walk and clear my brain. Mm. So I told the kids, I'm just going to go for a little walk and clear my head. And I was only five or ten minutes away when I got a call. We had cell phones back then, yep. I had my cell phone. <laughs> yep. And it was my oldest son, and he said, Ryan's just hung himself. You need to get back home. Oh, jeez. So I did. I went back and called the police, and the rope had broken from the ceiling. So he, it, it was an attempt. Yeah. But enough to know that. He's not messing around. Yeah. Yeah. And what I learned later was that that was not his first attempt. Mm. Yeah. So then we got into some family counseling because I couldn't figure out what was wrong. I'm like, what? Like, can you articulate it for me? Like, tell me, are you mad at me? Uh, like, because uh, I look at myself and go, I, I'm failing parenting. Mm. I'm doing something really wrong here. Help me out. Please tell me what I'm doing. Um, he he just he never said anything. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that he wasn't sleeping at night. Yeah. That was the big thing. I didn't know that. He didn't disclose that. Um, so we continued on this terrible cycle for, for another year and a half of violent outbursts, you know, me intervening, um, breaking up him, trying to smash his brother's heads into the counter, like just mm, horrible, horrible things. Mm. So he turned 16 and I thought, you know, as long as I have the three kids together, we can conquer anything. Mm. We're going to ride this out, whatever he's going to outgrow it. I don't know, but together we can. Mm -hmm. Didn't ever want to separate the kids. So he turned 16 in January and we moved into a new house, new, uh, fresh start, mm -hmm. as I put it, because there was a lot of drama that had happened in the old house and the police. And so I'm like, okay, let's try a new location. The kids still stayed in the same school. That was important. So we moved in January. He had a 16th birthday party, which was more chaos. And then Valentine's Day came. Well, I guess it was before Valentine's Day. I, I knew he was or I caught him selling drugs, mm. or there were drugs in his backpack. And because I work for police, there was a zero tolerance mm. for any kind of illegal substance in my home mm. that could jeopardize my house, my job, anything. So, and the kids knew that. So that he, I know now he had been using drugs since he was 14, and he hid it just very well. Mm. So I, um, I called the police and said, you know what, you need to charge him because this is unacceptable. Well, the police came back to my house. They did charge him. They came back to my house that night because it was one of my buddies that I know. Mm -hmm. And he said, Janice, I got to tell you that um, he is selling and he's making a lot of money at mm -hmm. school. He's doing really good. Like he laughed at us. And I'm like, okay. He goes, you need to go and talk to the principal. Mm -hmm. At school, 
and tell him what's going on. So I went to the principal and the next day and I said, so apparently we have a problem here and I'll support whatever you want to do. And he goes, what's your kid's name? Yeah, you know, uh, we're investigating him with the uh, gang team. Really? That's fantastic. Okay. Well, apparently one of his friends at school was in a gang and dad had done an intervention and taken him out of the school, but they had all his contacts in the phone and Ryan was one of them. Mm -hmm. So they were looking at him Mm -hmm. to see what his involvement was. So I went back to work. And I just so happened to be working in the chief's office that time and went to the deputy in charge of gangs. And I'm like, I got a problem. Like, can you help me out? So, I mean, that was so great. And that, you know, working with these people who were, who just said, you know what, Janice, you're going to be okay. Like, we're going to look after this. So he ended up getting expelled from school. And um, so he was at home which was fantastic. Mm-hmm. He didn't have to go to school. He could sit on his computer all day and sell drugs until I caught on to what he was doing mm-hmm. and took his internet away. I said, no, you won't be selling drugs. So I went to work the next day and why that little stinker, he phoned up tell us and said you know hello I am the the man of the house here and we've got a problem with my internet connection so they helped him troubleshoot that was nice of him oh you know god bless you tell us (laughs) yeah so I could see the messages because he was using Nexopia at the time so I could log in and see everything he was typing Oh, okay yeah and so he was like yeah you know what my mom tried that trick just went down to the store, bought two more cords in case she tries that one again. So it was like we had this like cat and mouse thing going mm-hmm. on, right? Like we were just up and down. I'm like, okay, so you want to do that? Next thing I'm going to do is take the entire box to work tomorrow. And I phoned Telus and I said, there is no man in the house. Please do not be sending out another box. Mm-hmm. The internet has been taken away. So when he realized that, when he got up in the morning... He was not very happy. Mm, Nope. I thought I was doing the right thing. Like, in my mind, that made sense to do something like that. What I didn't realize is that that would escalate things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it did escalate things. He phoned me at work and said that he had a gun Mm. and a couple bullets and... Would I get, would I give him the internet back when, when I got home? And I wasn't going to play with that because I knew that he had a friend just recently here in this gang who he told me did have a gun, who did attend his birthday party with the gun in my house. So I had, of course I believed him, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't going to say, yes, you can get it back because he said if I gave it to him back and agreed to it, that he would hide the gun and I would never see it. So the sergeant just so happened to walk by my desk and I just wrote him a note and I said, just call 911 because we got a problem. So when someone calls 911 from the chief's office, <laughs> there are about 1,700 police cars yeah. <laughs> that came they, upon my house. You see all the sirens going yep. in one direction. Yeah. Yep. And... um 
they got his little brother out of the house and then they went in and, and got him. And um, that was horrific. Mm-hmm. That was awful because... I can't even imagine how you felt. Well, I worked there. Yeah. And these are all my coworkers. And I was in the office because they uh, had taken me aside and said, keeping me busy. And I know the tactics that they use to keep me busy. <laughs> right? I'm like, okay, they're keeping me busy because I am... I don't know what's happening with my son. Mm. Like, they're going to take him out. Are they going to shoot him? Is he going to shoot them? Like, what's going to happen? So they're like, draw a picture of the house. Where do you think he is? And so I'm (laughs) (laughs) drawing a picture of the house. And, well, this is where his room is. And this is where... And I I think back now and I laugh because they kept me busy. Yeah. For sure. But then they came in and they said... um, the tag team is there and they need to clear the house. Mm. And my bedroom was locked because we were living, I was sleeping in my locked room, which is horrible for fear of oh. his violence. And so um, when I left for work, I always locked my bedroom door and they said, we need to get in there to clear the house. And again, I know that that's what they have to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm respectful of that. But I'm like, oh my God, they're going to go through my underwear drawer. <laughs> and I'm going to have to go and work with these guys. And yeah. I don't know who's going to be in my room. And oh my God, I didn't do the laundry. <laughs> so there's like a whole basket of, oh my God, I'm like mortified that they're going to go totally. in my room and see my stuff. <laughs> and then I have to work with them. And you know what? They're just so professionals. To this day, I have no idea who it was that went in there. Thank goodness. Um, So they did take him. He came out peacefully, and they did find a fake gun. Hmm. He went to the dollar store, and he bought a fake gun. And um, he bought a dozen roses for his girlfriend. So I nicknamed him Guns and Roses after that. (laughs) (laughs) like oh my goodness mr guns and roses yeah that was awesome i got the gun and your girlfriend got the roses there's something wrong with that yeah man yep guns and roses you can't get in trouble for saying those words together can you (laughs) i don't think so (laughs) yeah you can't patent like guns and or roses (laughs) yeah that's awesome i mean and terrible like and and terrible yeah so Unbeknownst to me, while I was in the office at work, uh, two of my friends from work, they called in two girls. One was going through cancer treatment at the time. So she came in, and the other one, um, they just said, you know what, get your coat. We're going to look after you. Mm. God bless them. Because I didn't know what to do. I'm like, I have no idea what's going to happen. They said, don't worry. Get your coat. We're going. We're going to look after you. So they took me up to the hospital where he was where they had taken him and um, they were doing a psych evaluation. Mm-hmm. And a couple hours later, they said, well, we're releasing him to you. This is just um, a domestic situation. And uh, good luck with your kid. <sighs> so my girlfriends, who were police officers, were enraged and said, oh, yeah, no, he's not going to your house tonight. After what just happened? No, he is not going to your house. How could the hospital even think that's a good idea, considering what had happened there? 
Mm -hmm. And knowing the last two years he had had violent outbursts and, but that's what they did. And suicide attempts. I told them everything and they still said, yeah, here's your son. You know what's interesting about that though, is that if you didn't tell that part of the story, people would assume the police let him go. Because that's what people say. They oh, yeah, say, well, no. the, cops, the cops didn't do anything. No, it was the hospital. Yeah, because the hospital has very specific rules to keep someone. Mm-hmm. Because our... Well, I'm going to get on a freaking soapbox. <laughs> I was about to say because our freaking country... <laughs> but I'm not going to say it. I'm sorry. Yeah. So they took him to a shelter. And he stayed in the shelter. Um, <laughs> really? Yep. Which one? Center Street. Uh, why would they send him to a shelter? Well, that's what How the girls old was he did. At that time? He was sixteen. Jeez. That's what the girls did. That's because they were gonna. They well, said, instead of going to your house, instead of going I to see. my house, no, yeah. the girls said he's not going to my. Oh, house. Oh, he probably went to like uh, Avenue Fifteen or something. Yes. Like that. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah, yeah. that's not bad. Sorry, I always had this picture in my head: the sixteen-year-old going to the drop-in center, and I'm like, dude, I wouldn't stay at the drop-in center. I love that place, man, because they've saved lives. But I tell you what, that place is hard. Sorry. Oh, but he did eventually get there, too. Get to the drop-in center. Yeah, Yeah. he did. And that phone call was horrific. Because, so after that incident when he was 16, Mm -hmm. um, he eventually did move in with his dad. Okay. I wouldn't let him come home. I couldn't. Yeah. Because I had two other kids there, and I recognized that... He's, he's out of control yeah. and I can't control him. I can't, I don't know what to do with him. So he went and lived with his dad and his dad said, Oh yeah, you know what? Live with me because your mom is a terrible person and they're all, you know, all the problems are just because of your mom. Mm-hmm. And so Ryan went, ah, that's right. That's exactly right. So the two of them joined team hate mom and I'm like, okay. But he started threatening me that he was going to come and kill me. Mm. And he just couldn't let it go. And so my boss at the time said, you know what? That is unacceptable. Unacceptable, yeah. And you need to charge him with that. Every single time he threatens to kill you because he's threatened your brother with the gun incident because his brother was in the house at that time and that's when he said he had two bullets. So I'm like, this is unbelievable that I have to do this, but this is the advice I'm getting. So I am going to charge him. Mm. I am. Or whatever, report it so that he is charged. And so we had end up going to court a lot and that was horrible because him and his dad had teamed up and were off on the side laughing and making fun of me. And, Mm. and then we had to go to this mandatory um, counseling, which was horrible because again, they just laughed at me and made fun of me. And I remember one of the girls from work driving me and, and I said, you know what? I've had enough. I'm not going to be made fun of anymore. I'm trying to help the kid. They think I'm the problem. So, okay, let me Mm. just wipe my hands of this and, and they can do whatever they're going to do Mm. him and his dad. And What I recognize what happened in my house is that his little brother started coming out of his room. Mm -hmm. What I didn't realize was happening is that his brothers were taking cover in their room and they wouldn't come out. Oh, geez. Because they were scared. They were all scared. Yeah. 
And so that made me sick when I realized what I had put the kids through because mm-hmm. it was my mission to keep the kids together. Mm-hmm. Like I, it was so important that they stay strong and be brothers and we're going to get through this. So I had caused that for the kids to be scared to mm-hmm. retreat to their rooms. Well, it wasn't your cause that they were scared. No, but <clears throat> I allowed him to be in the house. Mm-hmm. So um, that's when I recognized mm-hmm. that. And... Then Thomas, you know, the youngest one, he's like, he started to flourish. And so again, we have open conversations. And I said, you know, please don't use drugs. Mm. And he said, Mom, I'm not even going to smoke a cigarette. Like, not even, I just, no way, Mm. no way. And that was um, a couple years later. Thomas turned 14 and... I started finding drug paraphernalia around the house. Mm. And I lost my <laughs> shit. <laughs> I'm like, oh no, I know exactly what's happening and I can see it. Mm. I'm not oblivious to this. I can stop it this time because I am much smarter. I know exactly what's going on. No way. This is not happening again. And so I turned into the crazy mom. Mm. Absolutely. Like the, what kind of crazy? Like oh, like stalking him. Oh, geez, yeah. Yep. Um, mandatory drug tests or random drug tests. Mm-hmm. I would just pick him up and take him to uh, the um, um, the testing get, place. Yep, yeah, the lab. The and lab, I would yes. say, I demand that he get drug tested right here and now. Yeah. <laughs> like okay. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I would have said yes to. Yeah. If you came in and like oh. demanded anything, I'd be like, oh yeah, for sure. Yep. <laughs> then I um, found out who, or he told me who had introduced him to drugs. Mm-hmm. And um, I had just taken him and that friend to um, drop them off skiing. Maybe I took him to COP, but I knew where that friend lived. So I remember just pacing back and forth one weekend going, I think I need to pay that person's mom and dad a visit and let them know how displeased I am that their kid introduced my kid to drugs. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So like a mad woman, I went over there and banged on the door. I'm like, yeah, we need to talk out outside here. Let's go. (laughs) Ooh, damn. Just insane. Were they terrified? Was the look on their face of terror or? You know, the mom was lovely and she invited me in for a cup of tea. Oh, nice. And I'm like, that's not the reaction I was expecting because I wanted a fight. Mm-hmm. She said that her daughter, the one that Thomas had hooked up with, was in a treatment center. Mm. So she knew crazy and she recognized that and said, you know what, come in. Let's oh, have a cup of tea. Of her, eh? Let's have a cup of tea and let's talk about this. So it was very lovely. Until, well, we'll continue the story because that comes back to haunt me. Mm-hmm. Good. <laughs> oh, yes, I have so many does. things that come back to haunt me. I'm glad <laughs> someone else does too. Oh, yeah, that one came back to haunt me good and big. Yep. <laughs> but, you know, I he would stay over at his friend's place and have sleepovers. And so one of, I was working an event one night and I said, absolutely, if you want to go sleep over at your friend's house, that's great because then I don't have to worry about you being at home by yourself. I can focus on this event. I knew the mom. 
she was good. He's safe. So he phoned, he goes, can I stay the next night too? And I was so exhausted from the event, I went, you can, absolutely. Mama's going to have an afternoon nap and you can. And then I went, ah, something's wrong. My gut just started churning. So I went and paid a little visit, knock on the door. And the mother went, I said, I'd like to speak to my son. And she was like, uh, yeah, okay, I'll go get him. And he was drunk down in their basement. She had purchased alcohol for them and was drunk. Yep. She just about, well, I think they were almost going to call the police on me because I just lost my... Your shit? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah, they can call the police all, all day long. When they get there, they're going to be like, yeah, well, we're just going to wait outside. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that was the crazy behavior. Like, just really... Um, I, I didn't know how to react. I was so mad that this was how I was mad. Mm -hmm. Oh, I was mad. I was really, really, really mad because I could see what was happening. And I took him to the doctor. There was nothing they could do. Um, because there was mental health issues. Um, I said, you know, there's gotta be something like there's gotta be some kind of programs. Well, there's a prime clinic at the foothills, but he can't get in there until he's 16 years old. And he was only 14, 15. So, okay, that's not going to work. Well, there has to be something. Like, clearly, I see the road that he's taking. Mm -hmm. How can we stop this? How can I help him? Because I know exactly where we're going. I know at this time. Mm -hmm. What do I do? There's nothing. There's nothing. So I did get a call one day from the Foothills. They were doing a study on kids who are high risk for psychosis. Mm -hmm. And so they said, you know what, your son, we're only picking 100 kids across all in North America, your son fits, mm -hmm. you know, with your brother and your older son, he's a fit for the program. Mm -hmm. I'm like, perfect. Haul him up. Let's go to the hospital. So they did, um, a work upon him. Absolutely. Every single thing from saliva to cognitive to, um, an MRI, mm -hmm. they did absolutely every single thing. And it took, I think three or four appointments to get all of the workup mm -hmm. done on him. That gave us access to amazing psychiatrists, mm. psychologists, nurses. They're like, if you need anything, you just call us. That's awesome. I thought it was excellent. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, until he turns 16 and we can get to this prime clinic, this will bridge the gap. Mm -hmm. What I didn't know is that he took the money that they gave him because it's a study. He went and bought drugs with the money because <laughs> that made sense to him. Well, when you're using the, the only thing you spend money on is drugs. Exactly. Yeah. So I started to catch on to that a year into the uh, study. And so, um, you know, I mean, they tried talking to him and saying, you know, Thomas, you can't use drugs mm -hmm. with your history in your family. This is not going to good, be good. For, you can't. Mm -hmm. He didn't care anyway. So um, I said, okay, well, give me the money. So then that turned into a brawl at home because mm. he knew I had his money. And I just, I was at my wits end one night and he wanted, he was going out to a party with his friends. I want my money, I want my money. I said, fine, you know what? Here's your money, go kill yourself. I don't mm -hmm. care anymore. I've had it. Because Ryan was off the rails at that time. And he was in and out of the psych ward. Suicide attempt after suicide attempt after suicide attempt. They were nonstop. His friends were phoning me in the middle of the night saying, 
he's going to kill himself. So I would react. Mm -hmm. They'd have hawks chasing him because he was on the Suhigans bridge. He was going to jump into the river. So I finally said, you know what? If he does it, it's not your fault. Mm -hmm. I can't keep getting woken up in the middle of the night every time he's going to kill himself. And now Thomas is off the rails. And then I found out that Ryan gave Thomas drugs. Mm. Oh, so there's levels of losing your shit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I thought I had done a pretty good job of losing. Yeah. My no, there's uh, you can go a lot deeper. Nice. Yeah, you can go so you can always lose your shit more. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> So I found out the flop. Unfortunate for you. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I, um, I found out the flop house that Ryan was staying at because for me that crossed a line. Mm. If you want to ruin your life, I can't control that. But now you're bringing your little brother in. Oh, no, mm -hmm. no, 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 no. So I went to the flop house where he was at. He was flopped out, out of it. And I tried to wake him up, and and I had taken his picture, his grad picture. He didn't graduate from high school, but they, he did get a grad picture taken. And I took it, and I just smashed it on his head, and I said, you know what? You're dead to me. Hmm. You are dead. Which was not a healthy way to deal with that, but I just was at my wit's end. Mm -hmm. He had crossed such, he'd, yeah. Mm -hmm. That was horrible. So then Thomas is off the rails. He's using his study money to... Uh, so I started looking into the treatment center. Mm -hmm. And I did try to get Ryan into the treatment center twice. I really did try when he was 17. But because... Um, well... The first time his dad wouldn't sign in mm -hmm. because I was the problem. You both have to sign. We both had joint custody. So mm -hmm. dad said, absolutely not. If the problem is you, then that place is not necessary. Mm -hmm. But the second time I tried, he was 17. Ryan was 17. And um, his dad did sign that time. But you have to get your kid to the treatment center. And mm -hmm. because he had been threatening to kill me, there was also um, not a restraining order, but conditions that he had was, that we weren't like allowed. A protection to, order, kind of thing. We weren't allowed to. He had to be so many feet away from me. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't phone him up and say, "Hey, you want to go for some ice cream?" Because mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm going to take you to treatment, <laughs> so, and no one else would do it. So um, I tried everybody, and no one would do it. And then. So I sat outside the treatment center because I thought I had something lined up. I, I thought I had a, a good plan that someone would be able to come pick him up. So I waited outside the treatment center and they didn't show up. He didn't get into the treatment center. Hmm. So I got a phone call from parents in the treatment center who were waiting for us. And I was so mad. And I'm going to do things my own way because when I'm mad not going to listen to anybody. So they mm -hmm. left a message and they said, we know exactly what you're going through. Phone us because we can help you. Mm -hmm. And I didn't phone them because I was mad because I'm going to do things my way. Mm -hmm. Stubbornly. Had I phoned them, I would have found out that I could get a court order to get them in. Mm -hmm. So again, that's something that I own. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling terrible though. Mm -hmm. 
But you couldn't know what you didn't know, you know? Yeah. And that's one of those things where when people hear <clears throat> any bit of the story, like you, like you people may ask, well, how could you do whatever or how could you not do or whatever the case may be. And the truth is, until a person's going through it, it's all well and good to judge, right? It's all well and good for, for me or anyone else in the bleacher seats to be like, oh man, like there's so many other things or whatever the case may be. I don't see it that way in your case, but the truth is you can only work with what you have, right? And that's all you knew. And you're not like any other parent and like any different from any other parent when it comes to, or any other human, let me say, when it comes to not doing what you're told. Yeah. <laughs> None of us like doing what we're told, you know? Yeah. And I mean, like, like for you, you had to learn the hard way, just like um, Thomas, just like any other kid had to, like Ryan had to, we, you had to learn the hard way just like them. For, for people to think that a parent who is a parent of a, of a child who struggles with addiction or mental illness, for people to think that you get to go around like every other parent, well, that's a mistake. Exactly. Right? Because you don't. Yep. And I'm not suggesting that parenting is easy for everybody else. That's not what I'm saying. But definitely there are different elements when you have a, an active addict, especially if you also, and then you also include in there an untreated mental illness perhaps, yep. right? Yeah. And you could not have known. No, I didn't know. Yeah. No, and I forgive myself for that. So then Thomas is off the rails and I went back to the treatment center and they're like, oh, you again. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to try with another kid this time. And they're like, okay, here's the form. You know what you got to do. You got to go get it signed. And I went to their dad and there was no option. It was a very strong conversation mm-hmm. of this is what you will be doing and you're welcome to join us in the treatment program and the treatment process. They encourage both parents to be there, and I invite you to join us. Mm-hmm. Join the fight, but you're signing this piece of paper. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, regardless of what you want to do, this is what you're going to do. This is what you are doing. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. <laughs> so he declined, which meant he had to sign another piece of paper saying that he relinquishes his rights mm-hmm. as the dad to allow the so center. You can sign it, and yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So then I hop and skippity. I'm like, yes, okay, this is going to work out because you know what? I can get my son to this by myself because he's living with me and I know I can get him there. But um, I took the piece of paper there and I said, we need to talk to your ex-husband. Like, how did you get this signature? Because <laughs> mm-hmm. the first time I, I couldn't get the signature and they knew that. Mm-hmm. So like, did you maybe sign it yourself? Like, but I wouldn't put it past me because when you are desperate, yeah. I would have done desperate things and maybe I would have signed it myself. It was a strong conversation. But um, so then they phone him and say, you know, we need to validate that this is your signature. Well, he wouldn't call them back. So this is taking up time mm-hmm. because we have to wait for him to call before that they will set an intake date. And a week goes by and I'm like, has he called you? Nope. So second strong conversation. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I don't swear a lot, but my goodness, there were a lot of swear words in a strong conversation. Just say that. Yep. So he phoned them back and that all got sorted out. And then um, it was time to take him. They give you a list of everything that you have to buy. Kind of like a kidnap kit. Because that's essentially (laughs) what I was doing. I was horrified that I was going to lie to him. And so I had his bag in the trunk so he wouldn't see it. And I picked him up from school and told him that we were going to the study, that he had an appointment and lied to him, which still bothers me Mm -hmm. because I lied to him. And my heart was just pounding out of my chest, driving him to the center going, I am, I'm like kidnapping my kid. I cannot even believe that I'm doing this, but I'm so desperate. I'll do it. Mm -hmm. And they said, yeah, it's like they they got him in there, and part of the program is taking the kids in the program home to my house mm-hmm. and keeping them overnight. So you don't have to do that for the first three months because they're going to let you unwind because they know parents are wound up just a little bit tight. By the time you get in there, I bet. Yep. Yeah. Put coal up there and get diamonds. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to slash his friend's tires that oh, night geez, yeah. like because I was so mad at his friends because I thought that it was all the friends mm-hmm. that were the bad influences. Yeah. So I was fully prepared to go slash tires that night. So thankfully I got him in and we had a parent wrap and there were no slashing of any tires and I wasn't arrested. But it's a pretty dark place when you get to that kind of place where that's mm-hmm. where you're thinking. That's what I wanted to do. I... I wanted to hurt people mm-hmm. because I had been hurt. Yep. Well, so and you had targets, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Drug dealers. Yep. Phone them up. If you ever sell drugs to my kid again, I will come kill you. Apparently that's not a good thing to do either. <laughs> I learned. Yeah, but I bet you that's a thing parents do or yes, want to do. Absolutely. <clears throat> I did it. I did it. And that's what this treatment. So Putting him into treatment, I thought was going to save him. Mm-hmm. We need to save my kid. That's it. That's all. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you're going to have to get a sponsor and look after yourself. And I go, yeah, okay, sure, whatever. You're going to have to participate. I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. You want me to do, I'll do whatever you want to save my kid. But I didn't realize that I needed saving too. Mm-hmm. That I was just as much a mess as... Thomas was Mm -hmm. and that I had a role to play in all of this and so for the next eight and a half months well I guess for the first couple months I um, walked around with a couple of take off fingers up (laughs) leave me alone Um, I'm just mad and you can't break me I'm not going to cry because I need to be tough for all of this Mm. and I fought, I fought it. Absolutely. Because I needed to protect all that hurt. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to get hurt again. So up went the, yeah, the fences were high, but, um, their facilitators are pretty darn good at what they do. And Mm -hmm. one night they broke me and it was a ball fest. And that night I went to I had to take my son home with a bunch of other kids. And and I remember him looking at me because I had been bawling all night. I finally, it was like the dam, right? Like she's going to let it go. And I just let it go. And and it was amazing 
to let it all go and accept it and acknowledge it and recognize it and how messed up I was. Um, but it was, meant even more for Thomas mm-hmm. because he's like, you did some work tonight. And that was like, okay, she's going to buy into this program. Mm-hmm. She's going to work on herself. I can start working on myself some mm-hmm. more because she gets it. So that was a pretty cool moment because he was proud of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he, That's cool. it was very cool, yeah. actually. That was, there were lots of highlights in that program and lots of, oh my gosh, moments. <laughs> because, I mean, I learned a lot of stuff. I learned that um, it wasn't the other kids who were the drug leaders or the ringleaders. Mm-hmm. It was actually my son who was the ringleader and he was the troublemaker. So I think there were parents wanting to come slash my tires. There were parents wanting to come to my house and beat the crap out of me. There were parents who wanted to do all that to mm-hmm. me because, yeah. So that was, uh, and and I found out um, it's set up when we have parent wraps that parents who have finished the program mm-hmm. get to come back and give back to the parents who are in treatment. So that mom that I went to go and visit, and she invited me in for tea. Mm-hmm. So very early on in our treatment, she stood up and said, yeah. I mean, there's like 60, 80 parents, and you are airing your dirty laundry in front of everybody, which is why I had my takeoff fingers mm-hmm. up, because... I am not sharing Just any so of this. you guys know out there, takeoff fingers are the middle finger pointed at me and I didn't do anything. Just so you guys know. I just want some sympathy, that's all. <laughs> I'm not telling you to take off. <laughs> oh, gosh. So anyway, she stood up and she said, do you remember me? And I went, oh, no, this is not going to go very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so she, I had to tell everybody what had happened and... And that was horrible. And if I wasn't full of enough shame enough, now mm. people are going to find out how crazy I was. But uh, we became very good friends, mm. which was lovely. And she supported right me in that whole treatment process because for eight and a half, nine months, you have no life. Mm. Like it is to the treatment center to look after the kids, back to the treatment center to look after kids. And mm. The kids are locked up in your home with alarms and there's strict rules because they're other people's kids and they're high risk and they're going to run away. But the whole process, as horrible as it sounds, was amazing mm-hmm. because as mad as I was at my son and I wanted them to be as mean to him as possible and yeah. to hurt him as badly as they possibly could for everything that he has done to me, mm-hmm. I learned how to love these kids who were broken. Mm -hmm. So the process is quite amazing because it happens without you even knowing. Like Mm -hmm. they say, you got to take these kids home tonight. And um, I'm like, absolutely. You know, Mm -hmm. let's go, let's make cookies tonight. And just treated them so well because you could see how broken they were. And Mm -hmm. as long as it wasn't my kid, it was easy to do. And then that warms you up enough to be able to take your own kid home mm-hmm. and not want to beat him up. Well, because you can start looking at the the kid without the problem. Yeah. Right. When it's not yours. Yeah. It, it makes so much sense. Like their their process at that recovery center, it makes a lot of sense. It it also is confusing for lots of people, right? But it makes sense because you're trying to become more humble. 
Yeah. Right. And more, and more able to have like that empathy for, for your own kid yes. at the end of the process. Yeah. It, yes. makes, it makes some sense. Yeah. Yeah. It does. So we, um, he graduated and relapsed two weeks out of grad. Mm. And so I went right back into default and mad, even though, you know, I had worked, I think I had gotten up to step three or four while I was in treatment with him. But, um, I just went into anger again, went, what a waste of money, what a waste of time and kicked him out and he was homeless. And, um, his brother was homeless. So now I got two homeless kids full of shame. So what do I do? I had pity parties, felt sorry for myself a lot. And I know how to throw a pity party. Let me tell you, like there's cupcakes. (laughs) I I like your style. Craving business for a very long time. The kids would come home and they'd say a six pack on the counter and they go, mom's having a bad day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Cupcakes are a sign of a good day, not a bad day. I used them for bad days. (laughs) Yep. Then my own depression started. Hmm. To seep in for sure. Yeah, it got pretty bad. I think wearing them, um, I tell the people in our group I wore the same pair of pants for six months. Mm-hmm. Not one person noticed. Really, eh? But I couldn't function. All I could, like, I loved my job. Mm-hmm. And that was what kept me going is that I had a good job to go to and it was positive and it was fun. And I loved it so much and I loved the people there. But getting out of bed was like, just hang these pants up, put them on tomorrow. Hang the pants up, put them on tomorrow mm. for six months. Yeah. I did wash them. They did get washed, yeah. but that was all I could do just to keep functioning. And Thomas, Thomas wanted to go back into the treatment center for a refresher. And I said, absolutely not. Mm. I am not going back there. Unless I, well, my boundary was that I saw or I thought what I saw were kids, you know, whenever it got a little bit tough, they Mm -hmm. wanted to go back there. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no, you're going to have to work for this. You're going to have to get your dad on board Mm -hmm. and you're going to have to drag me. This time. This time. Because I want to know how serious you are about Mm -hmm. getting clean. I'll support you all day long. But I'm not going to be putting you in five, ten times every time you fall down. Mm-hmm. You're a young adolescent. You're going to fall. You're going to fall down a lot. Mm-hmm. So, and it hasn't been too long since you just spent eight and a half months there. I think you know what to do. Mm-hmm. But I'll give you this one if you can get your dad on board. So he did. He did the work. Oh, nice. He did. He got his dad on board, and we put him in on a refresher for a month. And I'm like, okay, perfect. Now we can go and hurt your dad and can you guys please hurt him and throw him under the bus as much as possible for all the pain and hurt he has caused me and they were nice to him oh those I bastards i was horrified <laughs> like no that's not how it's supposed to work you're supposed to hurt him for me yeah i'm compassionate people i eh? know oh. so clearly i hadn't gotten the whole program yet <laughs> there's just some elements missing i'm still at the crazy part <laughs> at the crazy stage. So seeing that, I mean, that was great to see for sure. I, I knew girl, you got to go do some more work on yourself. Mm. 
yeah, I have to do some more work. That's a red flag. Um, so Thomas finished his month of treatment and came back and lived with me and he was sober for 14 months. Right on. Yeah. He did really well. Cool. And, um, so well that I got on with my life, which they teach you to do instead of becoming this obsessed Mm -hmm. and codependent with my son. I, um, I went and had a life. Mm -hmm. So I came to him one weekend and I said, Oh, mama bear's going to Vegas. Mm -hmm. So I'll be back in four days. Uh, Make sure you let the dog out. And here's a few, you know, bucks in case you need to buy any groceries, but I'll see you in four days. I came home and he had relapsed. Yep. And, but in, in that time that he had, uh, his 14 months of recovery, I was working on myself too, Mm. because I recognized that in order for this to work, we just can't clean up one side of the street. We got to clean both sides and I need Mm. to do my part and I need to look after myself and get on board. So I was in a really good place when he had done that. And, um, what happened? He had, um, shut his kidneys down. So he, he came into my room and said, you know, I need to go to the hospital. And I said, well, you can call an ambulance. Like call nine one one. I don't know what your problem is, but, and he said, "No, I I need you to take me, please." So I said, "Well, I'm gonna have a shower because as soon as I take you there and drop you off, I'm going to work." So I made him wait, which is horrible. I know people could probably say that was horrible, but I wasn't gonna just jump because he said he needed something. Mm-hmm. And I did get him to the hospital, and they did. If anyone's saying that's horrible, I'm just going to say one word. Boundaries. Boundaries. They're called boundaries. They're called boundaries. <laughs> yeah. 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 And um, he, uh, yeah, they put him in, and they drained his bladder. And so I said, you know, what happened? And he goes, well, I have no idea. You know, I, I just can't imagine what could have happened. And said, well, they're going to keep you here until they figure it out. They're not going to release you. So eventually he came clean. And that's the first time that I really saw the disease because he Mm. went from doe-eye to, you know, I have no idea what the problem could be to spewing venom. Mm. When I said, okay, give me the keys to the house. You are out. You can't come back Mm. because you're only welcome in my home while you're in sobriety. Mm. So he was mad. And that's when I saw the ugly disease. Mm-hmm. So I, I, yeah, he um, made arrangements to contact me or to come by the place and pick up his stuff a couple days later. And we had a really good, honest conversation. And I said, I don't apologize. He goes, I know. He goes, I know you have to do what you have to do. And I said, yep. I said, this is the biggest gift I can give you. Mm. And he goes, I know that. So we cried and we both knew we had to do this. Mm. And he went and lived with buddies and couch surfed and did what he needed to do until he realized that he wanted to be clean and he knew how to do it. Mm -hmm. I don't know how long it lasted, 
um, he got into um, living with a whole bunch of other guys and he did come to me maybe six, eight months later and say, I want you to hear it from me that I am using and I didn't want you to hear it through the treatment center grapevine. Mm. So I had a ton of respect for him for coming and mm -hmm. telling me that. So he, he was maturing. I could see that. And I was so proud of him. And I said, well, you know what? You know what my boundaries are. You're like you, if we have family events, I will still invite you. Mm -hmm. And like Ryan, where he wasn't allowed. If he wasn't allowed mm -hmm. to come around. So I had done so much work that I realized I could lose these kids and I can change to accept the disease that they have and be with them and cherish that. Mm. And it, because I understand that they're sick and accept them, which was huge because, um, Ryan had a really, 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 really bad psychotic episode. He was walking down Stony Trail, I think, and someone picked him up. It was a snowstorm, and oh, someone picked him up and realized God, that... someone got him. Yeah, they took him to the hospital, and he was in the hospital for six months. Oh, wow. And it was a bad psychotic episode. It took a month for the doctor, or three weeks to get him out of it. Well, if they held him for six months, it was rough. It was bad. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd go to visit him and I hated it. I hated going to visit him because he would beg me to kill him mm. to please make it stop. Oh God, I can't even imagine. Jeez. Just please make it stop. And I did pray that he would die because I didn't want to see my kids hurt. And I knew he was being tortured by the mental illness. And that was horrible to watch. But he didn't die. So again, I'm like, okay, well, the doctor there did amazing things and the medication worked and they got him into um, pathways to housing. Mm, right on. And they put him on a community treatment order because he hated taking his medication because it took away his ability. Well, he said he was Jesus. He told me he was Jesus. Mm. Yeah. And that was a conversation in the hospital. Let me tell you, I, I, was, you. I thought I was being punked. I was looking for <laughs> cameras going, are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> was it like, cause it was just that perfect. Like he was talking about the stuff you've heard about. Is that why he had a hard time believing it? Because that's what people usually say, right? They go, well, they thought, it, they thought they were Jesus or something religious like that. Yeah, like he, he had called me to the hospital. He goes, I got something really important to tell you. And so I'm like, okay, well, come, come visit you. And he goes, I am Jesus. I'm like, what? Mm -hmm. No way. And I remember like having to bite my lip going, don't laugh. Don't laugh. There's cameras here somewhere because this is... <laughs> This cannot be happening. Mm -hmm. It happened. Yeah, and it's very real, though. It's very real yeah. in his in his world, and that was sad. That was sad. But um, he he did really well on the community treatment order and in the Pathways program. There was somebody who went to check up on him twice a week, mm -hmm. and he really did well. He did so well that. Um, 
he got a job down at the Saddle Dome. Now, he looked like he was 12 years old, but he was selling beer. Mm-hmm. And they would ask him, like, kid, are you even old enough to be selling beer? He was, um, but he loved hockey so much. And so he would love selling beer and talking to the Flames fans. Mm-hmm. And because he grew up in Calgary, everybody knew, well, not everybody, but a lot of people knew him. And they'd go to the game and say hi to him. He loved that. And um, that's when I got to see how big his heart was. Mm-hmm. Because he would... Um, Because he could pass for 12 years old. He would take his bus fare and give half of it to the homeless guy. Mm-hmm. And he just was so proud of that, that he did that. And he wanted Transit to stop him on the train and challenge him so he could tell them what he was doing with his money. <laughs> and I'm like, I love that. I love that so much. And, you know, the girl at the Saddle Dome who had terrible eczema and he took some of his cream and gave it to her mm-hmm. and... And I saw how big a heart he had. And that was fantastic. And mm. we mended our relationship. And I eventually let him come to my house for Thanksgiving dinner because I didn't tell him where I had lived mm-hmm. to protect myself. For sure. Which is horrible again. It's horrible to have to do that with your own son. Yep. Yeah. Yeah takes an incredible strength to do it right yeah so Pathways was a godsend because i got all those gifts mm-hmm. yeah it's a good it was a good program it is a good program it is a good program yeah so last year yeah he um i knew he was declining the community treatment was great and that he, a nurse would come and give him his um, antipsychotic medication, but he was using so much marijuana that it was counteracting mm-hmm. the effect of the drug after a while. And he was declining. And I knew that he was declining. And... Yeah, he passed away last year. Hmm. He got some fentanyl and and it did take his life. And that was sad on one hand. The other hand, you know, like I knew how tortured he was. Hmm. And I just didn't want him to be around knowing how tortured he was. And now he's in a safe place and he's happy. And that gives me a lot of peace knowing that Mm. he's not being tortured anymore. But then Thomas declined when he lost his brother. Yeah. Yeah. And I knew that. So I had a conversation with him and I said, you know, when you were in treatment, you, uh, when you came out, you would see some of your friends when we were driving and you would say, He's so thin, he's using, I know what a using person looks like. And so I had that conversation with him. I said, you know, I know that you're super thin. So I know that things are not good for you. And what can I do? And there was nothing I could do. Hmm. Just being able to have that honest conversation was incredible. 
to have that with him. And I think he tried. He tried for a little while. But then uh, in July of this year, he, um, he had his encounter with fentanyl. And I was, um, I was, I had arranged to meet with him to go to a movie on the Sunday and I went and picked him up and I just knew that it was Ryan all over again mm. and to brace myself because this was going to happen again. Oh, jeez. So we went to the movie. I don't even remember which movie it was. I just knew that something terrible was going to happen to him. And I stay in my lane and, you know, I just check up on him once a week and see if he'll get together. Sometimes he would, sometimes he wouldn't. Mm -hmm. So I, after that movie, I just went, you know, that was a great time that I got to spend with him because it could be the last. Mm -hmm. And waited till the next weekend and phoned him up and said, you want to go for lunch? And he said, I sure do. He goes, I'm just cleaning up my place. And I go, you're cleaning? Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's fantastic. So when I went to pick him up, he said, yeah, I cleaned all my drug stuff. I said, okay. And that's when uh, we went and had a good lunch and he told me that the day before the movie, that Saturday night, he had bought some cocaine and as soon as he took it, he knew that something was really wrong. Mm -hmm. And then he went and grabbed his naloxone kit which I didn't even know he had his psychiatrist had insisted that he get it oh, thank God. after his brother had passed and he went in the bathroom he said and the first needle broke and then he got the second needle in and he just sat in a cold shower for four hours until he realized he wasn't gonna die yeah. so when I picked him up for the movie that's what I saw and I knew he was shook that's why yeah. I knew that something terrible had happened. So oh, just give me chills. Ugh. So um yeah, so he's cleaned his place out and he said I'm going to look for a new place to live. This one has got too many bad memories. So everything that he had learned in the treatment center, he was now putting into action. Mm -hmm. He knew what to do. He said, "Can I come to your house and phone my sponsor?" I said, "You sure can." So after our lunch, he came over and he phoned his sponsor and they were his old sponsor and they connected, and next thing I know, he was off to a meeting. Cool. Which was unbelievable. Like, I mean, the day after I had seen him after the movie, I went for a walk down at Fish Creek. I was on vacation, and uh, I planned his whole funeral because hmm. I knew it was coming. And I had talked to somebody at work because I know I needed support. And uh, I had told this person what I had done and that I had planned his funeral. And he said, you should tell your son that. I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't tell him that. But I did. The, um, it was his birthday just a few days after. And um, it was just him and I. And I knew that he had a couple of weeks of sobriety, but he was doing it gripping. Like he was White not in a treatment. Yep. yep. He was on the edge hmm. I, and I recognized that so I told him that I had planned his funeral and he was shocked he was absolutely gobsmacked shocked he goes I thought I was doing such a great job of 
Hiding. Hiding. <laughs> I didn't think you guys knew at all. I'm like, oh. I said, I can tell you that your whole family has been contacting me saying you are anorexic then. You are walking skeleton. Mm. You are death. No, we're all very, very worried about you. Mm. Everybody's worried. So he was really, really shocked by that. And we haven't talked about that since then. But um, he did move into a new place, which wasn't, ended up not being good for him. They had, uh, I'm so smart of him because he wanted to move into a basement suite. He said, Mom, I can tell you that this legalization of marijuana scares the hell out of me. Mm -hmm. Because in my mind, it means it's a check mark that mm -hmm. it's safe to use. If yeah. the government is going to legalize this, then it's safe to use. For him, it's not safe to use. He said that um, this, his psychosis had kicked in. The marijuana had triggered his psychosis, and it had convinced him that he couldn't eat food, mm -hmm. So, which is why he was deathly ill, so skinny and thin, was because he, he couldn't eat any food. And he was starving himself to death. So he wanted to get a good couple months of sobriety before October 17th. And um, he, he got this new place, but it, it ended up not working out for him. So he moved back to my place. Mm -hmm. But he's still sober? He is still sober. Right on. He's gained so much weight. He was showing me his belly the other day. <laughs> he's eating me out of house and home. He can have some of my weight if he wants it. I'll Mine it to too. Him. Yeah, I'll happily yeah. give it to him. So that is where we're at. And I know we just live one day at a time. I know that that could change tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And I'm so grateful for the program and for the people who have been so patient with me and helping me learn and grow and accept and let me talk for hours and hours on end. Because unlike my parents, I'm a talker. I need to talk. I need to get it out of my head. Mm. And I will talk to anybody who listens. And it doesn't mean that you need to take my pain away. It's just, you know what, just hold my hand while we walk through this mm. darkness, this hell again. Yeah. There's nothing that can take the pain away. No. Not that kind of pain. I learned that. Yeah. Because I watched my kids suffer and I couldn't do anything. See, as a mom, you're pretty powerful. You think, you know, when they were growing up, I could ground them. I could take stuff away. But I did my kids a disservice in not teaching them how to deal with pain because I mm -hmm. took it away from them. So if there was any kind of painful situation that they had to go through, I was like, well, let's make cookies. Mm -hmm. Let's just fix that all up and put some nice sugar on top of that. It sounds like my family too. Yeah. Right? right? We want to take that away. Yeah. I don't want anybody to hurt. Especially your kids. Especially your kids. Yeah. So I see it in my parents' face today. We're all grown-ass men, and they still feel the same way about us. <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah. So that was that was really enlightening and knowing that Thomas is going to have more bad days. But that um like he, it's just amazing living with him now. He'll come and he'll want to talk. Mm. I So yeah. The first day was not so good though, I have to say, because 
I was so excited that he had moved back in. I can protect him. Mm. No, I can't. I know I can't, but you know, a little bit of me went, yeah, Mm -hmm. you can. Yep, you can. And uh, he was getting some storage containers to put all my stuff in that was in the spare bedroom that he's taking up. And I said, you know, go buy yourself some storage containers for the stuff that you're going to put in the storage unit. And uh, he's like, no, I'm good. Everything's in plastic bags, mom. It's all fine. And I go, oh my gosh, plastic bags, like mice are going to get in there and bugs are going to get in there. Mm-hmm. Oh no. And he's, he gave me the look. He's like, mom, it's okay. Yeah. And I, I just, I go back there so easy. It's so mm-hmm. easy to go back and want to control it. If you just do things my way, everything's going to be much better. Mm-hmm. I go, no, okay, I got the look. I know to mind my own business. No, I'm not going to run his life. Cool. And I'm really, really grateful that he feels comfortable telling me, back mm-hmm. off, mom. But and you so made it safe for him to do that. I've made it safe for him to mm-hmm. do that. Um, our living arrangements are working out mm-hmm. because we both have boundaries. Mm-hmm. It's important things. It is so important and it's working out so great and he'll want to come and talk and I've learned how to listen, not to hear what I want to hear, but I've learned how to listen to hear what he has to say, which has been a huge learning curve, especially, you know what, with Ryan, because while he was just tortured with, um, he had numbers. Numbers were everywhere and they drove him crazy. Mm-hmm. So if I took him to a store, all the numbers, like all the signs, he would be like, there's a four, there's a 10. I go, well, Ryan, they're everywhere. Like I tried to mm-hmm. um, make sense of it. I tried to make him see that that was normal instead of just listening and understanding that he mm-hmm. was being tortured by the numbers. Yeah. But it's hard, right? Like if you don't know what it's like to have a torturous thought repeat in your head all day, you can't. Just all of a sudden be like, oh, yeah, I totally understand what that's like. It's almost impossible. It really is. Unless you're able to identify with it yourself somehow, whether you've seen it before or experienced it yourself, it's really hard. It is really hard. It is. Yeah. So I give myself some slack. You know, I wish I would have known a lot of what I know now and been able to. But I guess that's the journey that I had to take. That's the mm-hmm. journey that I had to go on. Things had to happen the way they did for us to be where we are. Um, for me to learn the things that I had to learn. Mm-hmm. Well, and just as importantly for you to be helping the people you're helping now. Right? The one thing you didn't talk about, which I'm not surprised. Most people don't, right? Especially when they're like not superheroes or they think they're not. But like you, you work with other women. You work with other parents. You work with other humans, and um, taking the the tragedies that you that you've experienced, like and including your brother, I'm not like it's not, you can't leave it out, right? Like it's part of that history. It is, you know, and it's an important part of the history because it shapes how compassionate you can be, right? When you get past the anger at your kid, right, and you get to that point where, like you said, you're taking other kids home, and really, it's very smart to do that. Yes. Right? Like very smart. It's not yes. an accident. It's because gradually those kids in your presence, they're going to act so much better because you're not their parent. You're going to treat them so much differently because not better or worse, but so much differently because it's not your kid. Yep. Much easier to separate the person from the actions when it's not your child. 
hundred percent. And what a brilliant thing to do. But then you took that and continue to take that and try to help other people. Right. And like, honestly, if you ever have to ask yourself <clears throat> how you found yourself on a recovery podcast, because to me, that's what recovery is. It is like, it's, it's really, you know, all the, bullshit aside like it really is that simple it's about people who have been hurt helping other people who have been hurt right period we understand what hurt is yeah we have seen hell we have seen darkness we Mm. know and to describe that to somebody is very difficult unless you know Mm. what it is so when i talk to a parent i can say things and they shake their head and they go yeah that's exactly Mm. right yeah, I do know. I do understand. And you don't have to do this by yourself. Mm-hmm. I did for too long before I let my guard down and let anybody in mm-hmm. for fear of being hurt. But once I did let somebody in, my life is so much easier now because when stuff happens, I will go talk to somebody right away. Mm-hmm. I know what to do. Yeah, you don't have to suck on it all anymore. Nope. Yeah. There's, it hurts. It takes me out for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, when this July, I got taken out big time. I, it was a combination of things. If I have to look back, perspective is amazing too mm-hmm. when you can look back because when you're in it, you can't see anything. You're in the eye of the storm mm-hmm. and you're just hanging on. I'm hanging on for dear life until this passes and things settle down and the dust mm-hmm. settles and then I can look back and go, okay. Now I can break this down and I know exactly what happened. And you know, the first year that you lose somebody, well, for me, it was just a checklist. Okay, we got to get through this anniversary. We got to get through this holiday. It was just checking off a whole bunch of boxes because I was still numb. After all the boxes were checked, I'm like, oh, I think I've thought out. Now I have to feel this. Mm -hmm. Now I really have to acknowledge this and feel this. And then, oh, okay, just about lost the second son. Okay, Mm -hmm. Mm, things at work are not going so good right now. So it was a perfect storm to get to the edge again Mm -hmm. and fall off. Yeah. I I love quotes and music. They have been very important. And I saw a great quote, you know, when you get to the edge, Have faith that he will give you wings to fly or he will catch you. And I've fallen off the edge so many stinking times that now he just goes, catch. He's just chucking some duct tape down there going, (laughs) tape those damn wings up and get your butt back up here. Mm -hmm. But what I find is the climb back up is harder each time. It doesn't get easier. And it is hard to get back up again. I know I want to. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll stay down at the bottom and have a good darn look at the bottom and see how dark it is. And But I will make a decision and mm-hmm. I will climb back out. And I'm stronger when I climb back out each time. Of course. I'm just stronger. Yeah. You do the workout to get out. You do the workout <laughs> to get out. Yes. Yeah, you totally do. But you build that resilience, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I was... Um, it's weird because I was honored to to be there with with Ryan's service and yeah. um, just honored to be a part of the whole thing. And it's weird to say that I was honored to be a part of it, right? Because he passed away. But the, one of the things I I sensed about 
about you and about everything to do with your family and 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 is just that piece of resiliency right like the and the love that still just like emanates from you so earlier when i said i had like an intellectual crush on you that's only like half true because there's like half of it is i just admire your ability to keep pushing forward and not pushing forward like you know like you're drudging up some shitty road and you're just doing it because you have to the fact that you like how you engage with other humans janice is like an incredible testament to your spirit right like regardless of anything about else surrounding it like obviously the details of it are tragic right like there's no way around that and no one should lose their kid you know except for the fact that these things exist that take us right like they're but i can i remember thinking about his service ryan's service like for the couple days beforehand and this is one of those services that even though i didn't know ryan like it really knocked me on my ass for a few days like i did and i i mean i remember talking to heather about it and saying like this there's something different here like this i feel this kid like i feel this kid like deep inside me like um like his the the reoccurring voice like that's in my head right like that has something i've always known was that constant mental chatter to fuck everything up to do like seriously and the difference between like if if someone has say schizophrenia and maybe what an an addict or an alcoholic experiences you have to almost like magnify that feeling by a hundred because the trouble part of the trouble with treating like schizophrenia or schizoaffective disorder, some of those things is that you cannot, unless you're in a hospital environment, you cannot control the surrounding environment, which is what always causes the trouble. Yeah. Is that you can't, you just can't predict what's going to happen out there. Right. And of course, you know that, you know, um, anyway, I, I, I could gush about you like all night. I really could. Cause I, you know, I don't know if you understand or if you know um, how many parents probably do need to hear you, right? And and how many parents can benefit from you and other people who've gone through similar things, right? Um, I, I don't compare pain because you can't do it. So yeah. the truth of the matter is I have no idea what it's like to lose a child. Unfortunately, you do. Right. And there's something in that, though, that allows you to let other people see your beauty. Right. And I got to tell you, because I can tell you that part of it is that every time I see you, that's all I see. I mean it. I see the light from your eyes, the love that you have for like humans like that is ever present. And I don't know if you hear that enough. So I just figured I'd tell you. Well, thank you so much. And you know, like I think back to that service, it was the most incredible. People still tell me how touched they were by that service Mm -hmm. and how it impacted them because it was an honest service Mm -hmm. we didn't we didn't um, we didn't beat around the bush no we didn't and so i am so grateful for that and i'm so so i knew of you i think Mm -hmm. i had met you once or twice yeah but through his service i got to know you Mm -hmm. like you got to know ryan and that's why i'm 
Well, and that's how I'm here today is because I trust you mm. and would sit and talk to you very openly and very candidly about because of the trust that I have mm -hmm. and the connection that we have over something so terrible. I know. So out of what do they call that collateral beauty, like out yeah. of something so tragic, something beautiful and a friendship that is just means so much to me mm -hmm. can come out of something so tragic. Yeah. That's I just got cool. goosebumps again. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. Cause I do, I feel the same thing. I, of course, when I see you, my eyes just go like, Oh my God, I want to just hug you. And it's just amazing. Yeah, so thank, thank you. you. Thank you for coming. Thank you. You're welcome. How much time, what time we got, man? Are we, oh my goodness. I knew you and I would just keep going though. Yeah. yeah I just love talking to you. I could listen to you all night. Did you, did you want to talk about anything else? Because I don't want to cut you off. No, I, I, um, I'm just so grateful. Like I'm just so grateful for everybody who um, has been there for me. Hmm. my police family, you know. And they've done good, eh? Like, they've they rallied have, around you. So. Oh, my yeah. gosh. So many times, you know, like, it's been too hard where mm -hmm. I just don't want to do this anymore. And I want to give up and say, this is too hard. Mm -hmm. And they, they don't give up. They don't let you. They don't let me mm -hmm. give up. And I see what they're working on. And you know, the drugs and all this policy and new mm -hmm. laws coming out. And I don't see them giving up. I see mm -hmm. them fighting, if not as hard, but probably harder. So when I see that, I go, I can't give up. Mm -hmm. I can't give up. I can appreciate that. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I am forever grateful. And you know what? I've worked at CPS since I was 17 years old. Holy smokes. Started, only for like 20 years then. Yeah, a like, couple of years. Just 20. I just never, ever thought that I would ever be, you know, in a place where I can, you know, it's part of my job is doing awards and, and having a hand in these guys getting awards for the work that they're doing, putting their life on their line, mm -hmm. you know, doing dangerous work. And then I can say, thank you. How incredible is that? Mm -hmm. That I can say from a personal, thank you. I'll feel pretty good. That is unbelievable. Yes, because... I never I'm, even considered that when we were talking about it that one day. Yeah. I, I didn't. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt no. you. No. I had never considered the fact, though, that that would feel really good to give people awards. Yes. Right? To be thinking about all the positive things that happen and being the person to say, I get to say thank you. Well, I mean, I'm the one who orders the lunch, so I make mm -hmm. sure that the guys get a good, good lunch. I'm the one who does up their certificate, so I make sure that their name is spelled correctly. I'm the one who gets to facilitate all that stuff, and I do it with great pride. Mm -hmm. And if they knew, like, you know, each, each award, I will sort of just swipe it and go, you know what? Thank you. Mm -hmm. Each person, thank you. Mm -hmm. Like I get to do that. And that is so cool. That is awesome. Yeah. And you deserve it. I think so. Yeah. I can't think of a better person that should get to do happy things all fucking day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it. Like I can. Maybe my mom. Ah, <laughs> yes. But other than that, I, I mean, really, that's amazing. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And they cool. don't give up. They I do not it. give up. Yeah. And see, and that's the thing that 
when we get to work with each other after trauma or in trauma or whatever it is, we all get to look at each other and not give up, right? Because there's no secret that we that I have issues too. But when I see you or I even think about you and I'm like, oh, really? So you're thinking that you're having a pretty bad day, are you, Dave? <laughs> really? How about we take a walk down memory lane? And then it's like I think about you and I think about some of the other incredible humans that just come through shit that would, that honestly, if I'm honest, that if it happened to me, I'm not sure that I would make it, to be honest, right? I have to be honest about it. I don't yeah. know. Because I've seen the horror and the terror and that pain. And I know that it's beyond me, right? Yeah. Like I, I have no illusions that that pain is something that God has spared me from, right? Like up until this point. And um, I say spared me as though he blocked something, but I, I've just been spared, right? To have to, to do that so far. Friends, maybe it's working us up towards other stuff, right? But I can't imagine. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Earlier, I mentioned uh, Steve, who owns Imagine Painting, and he's available for large or small painting projects. I did, however, forget to tell you how to contact him. <laughs> so it's Imagine Painting, and his name is Steve. You can reach him at 403-305-8786 or at www.imaginepainting.ca. Okay, so again, thank you so much, Janice for coming and sharing your story and your love with us. Like I, I am very grateful. I can't imagine my life without you anymore. So. Wow. You don't have to, because you. I'm not going anywhere. I appreciate that. <laughs> I know it makes me happy to think it that. makes me happy. Um, we would like to remind you that the opinions shared here are those of the individuals and not representative of freedom's path or not necessarily representative of freedom's path recovery society or any other organization affiliation that we may share with um, or other individuals. A huge thank you to Wild Rose United Church for their open-hearted giving to the community at large. They have graciously provided space and love for us to work within, and we cannot thank the staff, volunteers, and members of the church enough for all that they do each and every day. And again, my friend Darcy, thank you, man. Like, uh, can't thank you enough for all that you've done for us here. And that you keep doing. So thanks, man. Thank you, Darcy. It. Right on. Um, and of course, I'm not here without each of our board of directors. Well, I might be here, but I might not actually be in this chair. So <laughs> I might be alive is what I'm saying. They may not have saved my life, but they might have. Okay. I am not here without each of our board of directors. Trent Baker, Todd Deere, Christine Pemiskern. I think I might have actually got her name right that time. Uh, Heather Morjo, Wayne Lurie, and John James. Thank you as well. A special thank you to Trent Baker for you and your group's continued support, uh, both financially and spiritually, to me along the way. When I didn't have the courage, I found it in you, my friend. Thank you. To all the individuals who graciously donate their money and time to helping Freedom's Path first became a, become a society and now a charity, we thank you very much for all of your continued support. Who is Freedom's Path? Well, we work directly with individuals and families struggling and suffering with addiction of all types, mental illness, codependency, and the multitude of difficulties humans bring forward as they attempt to make life-altering changes. Last but not least, oh no, I'm going to thank you again. So thank you, Janice. You're welcome. For coming. Um, thank you. Again, I'm kind of like gushing. I could just gush because I just 
think that you're fantastic. If you're close to giving up, regardless of what your difficulty might be, please reach out to someone. You can always give up tomorrow, or maybe you won't have to. To anyone listening, imagine that your voice might be the only one someone hears inside their darkness. What is it you would like to tell them? What is it you would like to hear? If you are interested in being a guest on the podcast or looking to make a donation or help in some other way, please contact us through our website, www.freedomspathrecoverysociety.ca. I know it's long, but you're all very smart. Uh, Or you can find us on Facebook at Freedom's Path Recovery Society. Now tonight I am going to do something a little different. Earlier I got to hear the music of Marie Bridge. She's fantastic. So I am going to pump up her CD because I just heard her earlier. And then I'm going to give the CD to my friend Darcy because it's good music. I'm just kidding. Darcy, I'm not going to give it to you. Yeah, I'm just kidding. I totally will, man, if you want it. So uh, her name's Marie Bridge. You can find her CD um, on her website at www.mariebridge.com. All the proceeds that she made tonight by uh, giving away her CDs and asking for a donation went right back into the recovery ministry here at Wild Rose. So she's a fantastic singer, incredibly talented. Uh, Please check her out, www.mariebridge.com. Her rendition of the Serenity Prayer by song is incredible. And I'm absolutely going to get you a a copy of this, Darcy. Um, I should have got two up here. I wasn't using my head. Okay, so everyone who knows me knows that math is not my skill set. So apparently when I brought one up here intending to give one to each of you, I needed two. So I will be able to get one next week for you. So no, it's, it's totally cool, man. I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to give this one to you, Janice. And I implore you. Now, some of it is like Jesus stuff, which is totally cool for me. And I know not everybody's cool with that. But if you're not cool with that, that is perfectly fine. Her voice is incredible. If you listen to the serenity prayer that she sings, we just listened to it, her new version of it in church. And unbel- I was like transported. I mean it. And I don't I say that very it. often about stuff, but um, well, unless it's like Led Zeppelin. They transport me every time, right? But um, anyway, so this is for you. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Uh, and also another thing I wanted to do, I'm going to start doing this regularly, uh, if I can remember. So, um, October 26th, 27th and 28th, uh, there is an open group of pathway to freedom at wild rose United church. You can look it up on our website as well. Um, and then you can figure out whether or not you want to do it. It goes from the 26th, 27th, 28th, the 26th is 5 p.m to 8.30 p.m., 27th and 28th is uh, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. All times have been adjusted, so please contact us if you're interested. Uh, Also, here at Wild Rose United Church, because this is a recovery podcast, and I really do absolutely care that if you need a meeting, you can find one, I'm going to read out um, this church. I won't read out every meeting because of some of the anonymity involved, but I will tell you that there are nine meetings here every week. Some are Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, um, Cocaine Anonymous, Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. There is also a brand new program here at Wild Rose, which is the first time it's been offered in Calgary. 
It's by the White Bison Group called Wellbriety. It's the medicine wheel and 12 steps. That's every Tuesday from seven to nine. I can say that one because it's not an anonymous group. Um, I could tell you the times of all the other ones, but honestly, I'd rather you look it up because Darcy's looking at me like he wants to go home. Um, no, he's just kidding with you, man. But so as for me, that's all I've got for you guys tonight. I wish you all the best wherever you are. Be safe and try to have some fun because our time, as we all know, is quite limited. Thank you.